welcome. I'm Victoria Schneps, president of Schneps Media, the Long Island Press, Dan's Papers, and AM New York Metro, to name just a few of our 88 media outlets. And today I am the Power Podcast leader because I have got a powerhouse of a man to interview today. I am delighted to bring everyone Joe Calderon. Joe and I met when Joe was a reporter for the Daily News and then New York Newsday, and now at the Senior Vice President at Mount Sinai South Nassau. But recently, a towering book author with a wonderful book that I enjoyed called Don't Look Back. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Vicki. Thanks very much for having me on. My pleasure. You know, we are just, uh, you know, multifaceted people. And I know that, um, you know, growing up in, uh, I assume, New York, you had to have been somebody who inspired you to become who you are today. So tell me a little bit about, you know, who is your inspiration? Well, like you, I go back to Queens. I'm a Queens guy, born, born and raised in Flushing. Uh, certainly my parents, uh, uh, my father was a hardworking salesman and my mother was a teacher. She was actually, uh, you know, from a, a large immigrant Italian family, as was my father. My mom actually got a master's degree from Columbia, which was pretty unusual for a woman uh, at that uh, point in time. So they certainly were great inspirations to me, as were uh, I, I was fortunate enough to go to Holy Cross High School in Flushing, which you know about uh, as well. And I, I really uh, lucked out going there. Had some great, great teachers, uh, Mr. Gianuzzi among them, uh, many others. Stayed there till uh, late at night every every day and just soaked it all in. And you know, they they taught the basics, right? They they taught you subject, verb, object, and uh, and many other things: uh, social studies, politics, uh, athletics. Just they taught you how to be, I think, a productive person. Well, you know, I think uh, somehow. Uh, we all understand that our childhood has a huge influence on who we become. And you've had a great journey. I, I really want to uh, talk a lot about how your journey took you to write a book, the Don't Look Back. And tell us how the evolution of that book came to be. Right. Well, so I spent some 25 years as a newspaper reporter and editor, as you mentioned, for uh, Newsday and then New York Newsday. I covered City Hall. I was on the investigations team at Newsday, and I covered 9-11 as a reporter uh, and editor for uh, the Daily News. And I always felt uh, that you know, at the time, I was, I was also uh, in the aftermath of 9-11, doing a lot of reporting on the fire department. Uh, and I always felt that what happened to the firefighters, you know, we lost 343 firefighters that day. And I thought, uh, even though it was one of the most covered events in the history of the world, and certainly in the history of New York, I, I thought that the story of what happened to the firefighters had, had not fully been told. So that story stayed with me. It took about 10 years, actually, to write the book. Uh, and I decided to do it uh, as fiction. It is a novel. And what I really did was take chapter nine of the 9-11 Commission report, uh, they did a very good job looking at the international, the national, and the local implications of the attack. Uh, chapter nine dealt with the city's response, and it documents in great detail 
some of the problems that the city had in terms of command and control at the fire scene and also the communications. A lot of the firefighters really didn't hear the mayday call to get out. Uh, guys in the North Tower were even unaware that the South Tower had gone down. But very few people have read chapter nine of the 9-11 commission report. Those of us who uh, covered the event, you know, probably did. But I tried to take the essence of that and put it into a historical fiction setting in hopes of bringing it to a broader audience. Uh, so it is, it's fact-based fiction, they call it. I didn't make that category up, that's a thing. Uh, but that's really what it is. And, and, and my, my hope is that it does bring the story of the firefighters to a larger audience. There were a lot of heroics that day, as we know, uh, but there were also were a lot of problems that day uh, in terms of the communications uh, among the firefighters. So, you know, I'm an advocate myself having fought for my daughter who had, uh, you know, uh, brain damage as a child. And, you know, these families that, um, you know, don't look back, but yet they needed to, to get potentially their due justice. So how did it evolve? Did you make up the character as of makes of many characters? Yes, it's really a compilation. You know, again, as a reporter, you have all these characters in your head that you've met over 25 years at City Hall, in the courts, uh, the police department, the fire department. So you, you kind of draw on all of that. That was another challenge to kind of wrestle all those characters uh, in a fictional format in something that uh, would be of interest to, to, uh, to readers. Did you, did she finally get justice? Was it, was, do you feel, you know, did, how'd you try to, you know, tell I, I, I hope so. I think that will be up to the readers to decide and, and particularly the 9-11 community, which I hope embraces the book. But I'm glad you, you raised the issue of the families. You actually are an inspiration. Willowbrook, uh, when I was coming up as a young man and, and thinking about journalism, uh, Raldo Rivera and the Willowbrook story really inspired me. I know it was, uh, I believe, on ABC. I think he was on ABC at the time. Eyewitness um, News. Eyewitness <laughs> News. And that was just so compelling and uh, you know, unbelievably showed the power of journalism. But the families, I call it the power of the press, Joe. Yes, the power yes. of the press. When it's used, when it's used correctly, yes, yes. absolutely. But the families really uh, are are a big, big chunk of the of the book of Don't Look Back, uh, and their story and how they fought uh, for justice to get uh, answers out of City Hall. You know, there was a lot of hero worship after 9-11 and people weren't ready necessarily to hear anything bad or what went wrong. And, and that's understandable, totally understandable. And there were many, many heroes that day. But as I said, there were also a lot of problems in how the city responded that day. Uh, and I think the families really pushed forward uh, and, and wanted to get answers from, from City Hall about what went wrong so that it wouldn't be repeated. Well, I think, you know, that's the big key. Uh, history shouldn't repeat itself, but, you know, if you're not vigilant, I see in my own work, 50 years later, we still have to be educating politicians about what is right. And it's almost like the same thing in the world of uh, any city agency. Yes, and now, and now we have, you know, it's 21 years later. We're coming up on the 21st anniversary of 9-11. So we have young people who did not live through it like we did. I mean, the yes. older folks... It's seared into our memories, but now we have a whole generation coming up that it, it is really history. So 
you know, looking back 21 years, uh, you, you, you have a different lens. You can look at things a little bit differently. And I hope that's what the book accomplishes. Well, Don't Look Back is a beautiful read, um, both compelling and informative. I call them historical novels. That's the category I love. That's, that's exactly what it is. It's historical fiction. It's uh, a real event uh, and, a, and a hopefully a story that will engage people. And it's available on Amazon, by the way, and Kindle and audiobooks. Perfect. Perfect. I, I love to read Kindle in the summer. Because it's one of the only ways that you can see in the sun yes. the work on the page, except true. of course by newspapers, which of course we love people reading our newspapers, and they do thankfully. Uh, so and, I and think by the way, I got a very nice review in Dan's papers, so who uh, called it a riveting read. Okay, okay, there you go. Thank you for that. Well, it's true, and I just was, uh, you know, it's nice to know the man behind the pages. And, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, I know this was a kind of a 10-year passion ride, but every day you are employed by Mount Sinai South Nassau Hospital as the senior vice president. And, of course, communications, but now also development, which, guys, is another word for fundraising. So tell me about your day job. What's yeah, happening well, at the you, hospital? You know what the best advice they tell authors, don't quit your day job. So I did not quit my day job. Uh, I've been here uh, roughly eight years, and uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous uh, institution, and I'm honored, really, to be able to represent it. You know, in the PR world, there's an old saying, make sure you have a good client, right? Or you're only as good as your client. And I have a tremendous client, and, and we saw tremendous evidence of this during the pandemic. You know, I, I arrived here, and a few years later, I find myself in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Uh, and I got to see firsthand up front how the nurses and the physicians and the, the housekeeping staff, dietary, uh, everybody stepped up and were, you know, looking to say, what can I do uh, to help uh, rather than running? You know, a lot of people are still working from home. The people here didn't have that luxury. They had to come into work every single day to take care of uh, our patients. So at one point, we had 500 COVID positive patients in the house. Oh my. It, it's been a, a three going on three year journey here. And uh, just, just really very proud to even be associated with this hospital. Well, I think they've done a great job of partnering with Mount Sinai, who's really brought not just great expertise, but dollars. Cause I know you're doing a capital campaign. We do. We have a $400 million capital campaign, some FEMA money that we received after uh, Sandy, uh, but it's allowed us to uh, build uh, right now uh, under construction a, a four-story new patient wing right here in our Oceanside campus, which is our main campus. We're the only uh, flagship Mount Sinai affiliated hospital on Long Island, uh, and that's good for everyone. You know, competition is good. The academic medical centers in New York have decided Oh, there's 3 million people out there on Long Island. How about we go serve them? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> right, right. But that's good. That's good for consumers. You know, when you have more competition, I think that's good for uh, consumers and good for patients. And Mount Sinai has been a tremendous partner uh, with us. And it's enabled, you know, when you have to go into the city for a procedure, you know this, it can take two hours uh, just to get there, find parking, and then two hours back. That's a tremendous burden, not only on the patient, but on their families. 
So the, the concept of affiliating with Mount Sinai, we've now been able to bring their expertise out to the island. Uh, so now it, you still, if you're having a liver transplant, you're still going into Manhattan. But there's a lot of other procedures, and you can also do a lot of pre-procedural and post-procedural work right here on the island. So families don't have to go in uh, as much uh, or as often. And we've been able to draw on, on their experience and their expertise and bring some of their specialists and subspecialists uh, out here to the island. Well, the, uh, what would you say is your catchment area for the hospital? So we really cover the entire South shore of Nassau County and even pushing out uh, beyond into uh, Suffolk County, into the Western part of Suffolk County. We have a, a roughly 900,000 residents from the Rockaways to the Massapequas. And on, oh. that, on that South shore, we're really it, we're, we're it. And not, guess what? Not everybody wants to go, even on Long Island, not everybody wants to go to the North shore to get care because it can take you, you you pick the wrong time of day, three o'clock when the buses are getting out, it can take you 45 minutes or more to get up to the North Shore, so. Well, I think not only, uh, you know, serving the South Shore, but I think, you know, this whole wonderful world of having, what I'm seeing is the crawling outpatient facilities that can be in your neighborhood. Yes, yes, yes. You know, as, as there's been advancements in the technology and the technique, which I'm personally so grateful uh, that the scientists and, and the practitioners are able to, you can get a hip now and maybe you're not even in there overnight. They used to keep you for two weeks. Uh, now a, a hip replacement can actually be done and not keep you overnight. They might still keep you one or one night maybe, but so uh, exactly to your point, we, we are opening up an ambulatory center in Wantaw. We are under construction for an ambulatory center in Long Beach on the Barrier Island. Uh, and we have or, or, or a dozen or more other sites already in operation in Hewlett and the five towns, uh, Freeport, elsewhere. So absolutely uh, outpatient, you know, nobody wants to be in a hospital, right? If you don't have to be in a hospital, don't be in a hospital. It's expensive. You know, it, it's for people who are really uh, sick if you're overnighting in a hospital. So we want to, as many services as we can get out into the community, you know, we also run the Vaxmobile with the town of Hempstead. Uh, we set that up uh, roughly 15 months ago with the CARES Act funding we got from the town of Hempstead. And we've been to uh, hard hit communities, minority communities, Uniondale, Hempstead, where the vaccination rates were lower than in other parts of the county. And that has proven that if you make it easy for people, if you bring care into their neighborhood, there are people who have transportation challenges, they have language barriers. Uh, if you make it easy for them, they're gonna they're gonna take care of their health. They're gonna do the right thing. Well, I think Mount Sinai, South Nassau, has put their flag on the South Shore, and you sound like it's really a beautifully orchestrated service links with links with links to the main hospital in Oceanside. So, Joe, let me ask you something to close out our interview. What advice would you give to other people? to be as successful as you are? You know, uh, there was a general recently, I'm forgetting his name, I think he gave a commencement address at West Point or one of the military academies. He said, make your bed. Like when you wake up in the morning, make your bed. When I wake up, I, I, I'm a big list maker. I make a list. Like, what am I gonna get done? What do I need to get done today? 
And then at the end of the day, I see how many things I got done. And then that starts my list for the next day. So, you know, have goals for yourself and, and think big, you know, go big or go home because uh, we're only going around once in life and uh, you may as well shoot for the moon. Well, I love to close on that shooting for the moon because you and I have that much in common. So I do enjoy having talked with Joe Calderon, who is the author of Don't Look Back, a riveting read that you can enjoy about, even though it's about a sad subject, a terrible crisis of having the World Trade Centers come down. But it is a riveting story and you can get it on Amazon or Kindle. And his day job, we're so proud of what he's done on the south shore of Long Island at Mount Sinai, South Nassau. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Vicki. And this is Victoria Schnepp signing off till next time. Bye now.